0: Thank you for listening to Changed by His Word, a podcast of Pine Level Missionary Baptist Church, featuring the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We invite you to join us each Sunday at 11 a.m. for worship. For more information, visit us online at pinelevelmbc.org. And now for today's message. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says... Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, Not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table there came a woman with an alabaster vial, of very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has not this perfume, or why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for for over 300 denarii, and the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her. But Jesus said, Let her alone, why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish you can do good to them, but you do not always have me." She has done what she could she has anointed my body beforehand for the burial truly I say to you wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world what this woman has done will also be spoken of in in memory of her then Judas Iscariot was one of was one of the 12 who was one of the 12 went off to the went off to the chief priest in order to betray him to them they were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. I want you to think about what comes to mind when you hear the word love. Perhaps you think of your husband or your wife. Maybe you think about Valentine's Day. Maybe you think about romance. Or you're quickly drawn to hearts and and chocolate and candy and cards and and flowers. and, And you automatically associate those things with love. I would have you know this morning that love is much deeper than just these things. Love is much more than a four-letter word. Love is so much more than lip service. As a matter of fact, love is an action word. Love is defined as a profoundly tender, passionate affection for one another or for another person, a feeling of warm, personal attachment, listen to this, or deep affection, And it's only when you understand the true source of love will you rightly be able to define its meaning. When you study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you learn very quickly that the Bible says God is love. So the reality this morning is without God, love makes no sense. You'll never be able to truly understand love until you experience God's love firsthand. God's love for you is so great that your limited finite mind cannot even fully comprehend it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this, that God loves you. If you hear nothing else that's said this morning, hear these words, God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This morning, for the next few moments, as, as we focus on the first 11 verses of chapter 14 of Mark's gospel, we're going to examine the life of a lady whose name uh, Mark does not even mention. And what I want to do is I want to share with you and and lay on your heart four truths that I hope and pray will be an encouragement and a challenge to you in a message that I've entitled, A Beautiful Display of Love. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to notice first that this woman surrendered everything to Jesus. She gave everything to Jesus. We find this in verses 1 through 3. It's funny that I keep coming back to these two questions. I've mentioned these over the past few weeks. And this is not something that I planned out. But I keep coming back to the questions, when and what? We've been focused on the end times in Mark chapter 13 and only God the Father knows when that time will come. The thing that we were challenged with as we studied chapter 13 is that we need to have our bags packed and we need to be ready whenever that time may be. It's critical though that we understand what is taking place. It's, it's crucial that we understand what God has explained to us, what he has taught us, the information that he's given us, and how we apply that to our lives. So here what we find is the timing of the event is once again mentioned in Mark 14. Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, now the Passover and unleavened bread were just two days away. So then this puts us in the Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' life on Wednesday. On hump day, through the middle part of the week. So it's just two days before Jesus would be crucified, before he would die on an old rugged cross for your sins and mine. Now, when we think about Passover, Passover was not only a time to reflect, it was a time to remember, it was also a time for the Israelites, the Jews, to celebrate what God had done for them, how God had delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. According to one writer, he explains it this way, and I quote, The month of Passover became the first month of the Jewish religious year. Late in the afternoon of the fourteenth day, each household killed a lamb. Don't miss that. That's significant. Which the people ate in a sacrificial meal that night. This was now the beginning of the fifteenth day, according to the Israelite reckoning. For they considered sunset to mark the end of one day and the beginning of the next. Now, following the Passover and joined to it was the seven-day feast of unleavened bread. The two were considered one festival, end of quote. So we see unleavened, uh, unleavened bread, the Passover, all a part of one event, and that's what they're celebrating during the time of Mark's writing in chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. So it's also important here not only to notice the when, but to notice the what? What exactly is taking place? This is crucial. Jesus' opponents are back at it again. They, they, they're back at the forefront once again, and, and we've seen this throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to trip Jesus. They're ultimately trying to destroy him, to kill him. So this has been building since the very beginning of Mark's gospel. We find the first account of this in Mark chapter 3, verse 6. The Pharisees... We're working with the Herodians and they were trying to determine how they might destroy Jesus. How they might kill Jesus as soon as Mark chapter 3 and it continues to build in Mark chapter 11 verse 18 then in Mark chapter 12 verse 12 and from this point moving forward it's going to continue to heat up and it will ultimately reach its climax. Now notice what verses 1 and 2 say The chief priest and the scribes, they're seeking how to seize him by stealth in order that they might kill him, that they might destroy Jesus. But notice what verse 2 says. They were also saying, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. So Jesus was still a very popular individual. Think about throughout the life of his ministry, multitudes had followed Jesus. They were following him from place to place, but yet when things began to heat up, they left Jesus and they walked with him no more. It's amazing how that happened back then and how that even happens today. People will say, well, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus, but when things begin to heat up and things begin to get difficult, which they're going to regardless of whether you're following Jesus or not, many will walk away and say, I don't want any part of this. I don't know of any place I'd rather be than in the hands of Jesus when I'm going through difficulty. Amen? I, I do not want to not be in the hands of Jesus when I'm going through difficulties. But many chose to walk with Jesus no more. And once again, they feared the people rather than fearing God Almighty. It's also important to note here that uh, they said the timing was not right, but it wasn't really up to them. It, it was God's timing. God's timing was not Yet the appointed time. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus came, he left heaven and came to earth at just the right time, at, at, at the exact moment that God intended for him to come, because all of this was a part of God's plan, but Jesus' earthly life was drawing nigh. Hey, I'd have you note this morning that God's timing is always right, He's never too early. He's never too late. God is always on time. He's an on-time God. So we see those who adamantly oppose Jesus. Hey, did you know there are folks just like that today who adamantly oppose Jesus? You can talk to some people about Jesus and say, Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And they'll say, I don't want to hear anything you've got to say about Jesus. And then what do we do? We walk away like a dog with our tail between our legs because we feel like they've rejected us when they've ultimately rejected Jesus. God's not called you to save anybody. He's just called you to be faithful. He's called you to be a faithful witness. So don't, don't, don't be like these folks. Don't be like the opposition. Don't, don't be like those who find fault in Jesus or try to find fault in Jesus or try to find fault in those who follow Jesus. And what I've come to learn over the years is this. You're going to either fall at the feet of Jesus or you're going to walk away and pursue your own ways. It's either one or the other. You can't have both. So we notice the opposition, but notice also the location. This is important. The scene shifts from the Mount of Olives over to Bethany. Now, if you'll recall back in chapters 11 and 12, Jesus and the disciples had been going back and forth between Jerusalem and Bethany. It's where they spotted the fig tree. Just a few miles or so, they would leave the city of Jerusalem, go out of the eastern gate, walk down through the Kidron Valley, walk onto the Mount of Olives, and just a few miles away was the little town of Bethany. So they're back in Bethany once again. And they're not at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They're at the home of a guy named Simon the leper. Now, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in Bethany, But the text specifically says they're at the home of another individual, and this is where the events take place. So Simon, at one point in his life, suffered from the tragic disease of leprosy. And it's believed that Jesus healed him of his leprosy. So they're gathered at the house of Simon when we see this wonderful event take place. So we've seen the opposition. We've been able to identify the location. But now I want to draw your attention to a woman who seems to be a central figure in this account. So Mark tells us that she came in, and as she came into the house of Simon the leper, she had a a little alabaster vial of perfume in her hands. Some of you ladies probably say, I wish I could get a little vial of that, right? I'd put some on. You probably put some on before you came this morning. But she had some... uh, a, a vial of this perfume in her hands and she comes into the house and the vial was actually what is known as spikenard according to Warren Wearsby and I quote he says nard was imported from India and a whole jar listen to this would have cost the equivalent of a common workers annual income that's a lot of money a lot of money a very costly bottle of perfume another writer explained that what this woman did was a costly act. In it, we see her devotion and her humility. Now, notice what this woman does. She was wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus. In other words, she loved Jesus more than she loved anything else. That's a good place to say amen. She loved Jesus more than she loved anything else. She had willingly surrendered her life to Jesus, and she displayed her love for him through this act of service. She poured the costly perfume over his head. She anointed his body. She not only anointed his head, listen, she stooped down to the point of a servant and anointed his feet with oil, and then she wiped his feet, the Bible says, with her hair. An act of service. Now, we don't find all of that information here in Mark's Gospel, Some of it's identified, but that's when we rely on the other Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are the synoptic Gospels. You also have the Gospel of John. And this account is also recorded in Matthew's Gospel as well as John's Gospel. Now listen to the details that John provides. John says not only did she anoint his head, she anointed his feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and then the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume so it was an act of devotion on her part as one writer explains it also showed her humility for it was a servant's work to attend to the feet so john sheds light as to who the identity of this woman is this unnamed woman listen to this john chapter twelve verse three john says mary who's the unnamed woman It's Mary. Mary took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. It's the same Mary that is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Dr. Danny Akin states the following concerning Mary. Don't miss this, and I quote, It's interesting to note that each of the three times we see Mary in the Gospels, she is at the feet of Jesus, end of quote. What better place to be than at the feet of Jesus? And notice what Jesus said of Mary in Luke chapter 10, verse 39. He said that Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from from her. She's chosen the good part. So this is what she did. It's who she was. But that begs the question this morning, what about you? What about me? Have you surrendered everything to Jesus? I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer that question. Have you surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus? If you've not yet done so, there's no better time than right now to recognize first and foremost that you're a sinner. You've sinned against the holy righteous God, so have I. That the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that, uh, that because of your sin, not only will you die once, you'll die twice. You'll die physically, and then you'll spend eternity separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell why because you sinned against the holy righteous God but I love the fact that God's love letter to us tells us that it's not his desire that any perish but that all come to repentance praise God for that and then if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead the Bible says you shall be saved. so if you've not yet surrendered to Jesus surrender to him Today, surrender to salvation, but also for the believer, there's another part, and that's to surrender to service, to serve Jesus. I think about some of the men this morning that got up at the wee hours of the morning over here and were cooking breakfast for other men. They were serving. Not only did they serve, after they served, they cleaned up. Ladies, they cleaned up the kitchen, okay? They cleaned the kitchen up, put all the dishes away, got everything ready, and they even had some food left over, and you probably were able to eat some of that. It was a wonderful act of service, and it not only blessed me, it blessed these other men that were a part of that. So that's just one of many acts of service. Think about it this way. How are you serving the Lord? What ministry has God called you to right here at Pine Level Missionary Baptist Church? There's a multitude of ministries for you to get plugged into and to actively serve King Jesus. Notice secondly, though, she was criticized by others. And they say the Bible's not relevant, right? Those who criticized her, the Bible says, were indignant. We find this in verses four and five. They were not only criticizing her from the inside or from the outside, notice this: She was also being criticized from the inside. So the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those are the ones that were on the outside. They, they were out there. They weren't a part of team Jesus. And they, they had criticized Jesus left and right, and they were also criticizing her. This means to be angry, according to MacArthur, to be outraged. They were greatly displeased with what they witnessed. In other words, they said, man, what a waste of money. Are you kidding me? You could have done something better with that vial of perfume. $300? 300 denarii? You could have done something more with it than that. I mean, we could have sold that, and we could have taken that money, and we could have given to the poor. We could have helped feed those who are are less fortunate. We could have done something more with that money than to just waste it and pour it over a man's head, right? That was their mindset. That was the way that they were thinking. So just as there were those that criticized back then, there are critics today as well. There are those who criticize that are on the outside. Hey, check this out. There are those that criticize right here in the church, amen? Churches are full of people that criticize. They come to church for the sole purpose of, let me see what I can point out this wrong. Well, the preacher should have wore something different today. The choir shouldn't have sang as long. We shouldn't have sang a song and then prayed and done another song. We should do this or we should do that. Hey, just follow Jesus, amen? And just serve Jesus and just live for Jesus. Don't, don't look for something to, to criticize. Look for the positive aspect. Look, look at your life and how God has blessed you and what he's done in your life instead of looking at someone else to try to find fault. Hey, here's a better idea. Go look in the mirror. You'll see enough fault in the mirror. I know I will. I'll look in the mirror and then I'll be like, I don't want to look in the mirror anymore. Especially when I look at my hair. But that's what the Word of God does to us. When we look at the Word of God, it's a mirror that shows us who we are in light of who God is. They were criticizing her because of what she had done. And not only did they criticize her, it didn't stop there. Those who criticize don't want to just stop with the criticism. They want to take it to the next level. Let me see if we can also humiliate the person. And then let me also see if I can scold that person. That's what the critic wants to do, and that's exactly what they did here. And the funny thing is, it's those who are on the inside. It's not the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. It's the other disciples. They're looking for ways to criticize Imagine how the woman felt, though, how insignificant she felt. And it's amazing when I think about this account, how this foreshadows the life of Jesus. Didn't they do the same thing to Jesus? Absolutely they did. He, he was humiliated, Paul tells us in Philippians, to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He was mocked. He was scourged. He was beaten. He was forced to carry his own hill, uh, cross up Calvary's hill. He endured the most intense excruciating, agonizing pain in history, and then he hung on Calvary's cross, and the weight of the world's sin was placed on the back of Jesus. Jesus died for you. And there were people that were criticizing him. Man, how eye-opening. So she gave everything, and we know for certain that Jesus gave everything As well, he willingly gave his life. Notice thirdly, she was commended by the Savior. She was commended by the Savior. We find this in verses 6 through 8. So Jesus said to her opponents, he said, leave her alone. Don't mess with her. What has she done to you? She's done absolutely nothing, but what she has done has been a good deed to me. So Jesus commended her. In other words, he praised her for her act of service. He praised her because she took this vial of perfume, she broke it, and she poured it over his head and anointed his body. And and what she was doing is just laying the the groundwork there for what was going to take place in just a few days. As a matter of fact, Jesus alluded to that here. Look at verse 8. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Imagine what the disciples were thinking when they heard that. What burial? What's he talking about? And it's as though this woman had some insight as to what was about to unfold, what was about to take place. But don't don't miss this. This was an act of service, and she did the act of service. This is crucial. She did the act of service not in order to be saved, but because of the fact that she was saved. Because of the fact that her life had been radically changed, that's why she did what she did. And think about your life. If Jesus has changed your life this morning, what type of service are you doing? How are you serving King Jesus? And it's, it's so crucial to point out here that, and I've stated this time and time again from this pulpit, 10,000 good deeds will not save you. Your good deeds will not save you. She was not relying on what she did here to save her. No, she had trusted Jesus with her life. She surrendered her life to Jesus. She was serving him because she had been saved, and he commended her for this act of service. But not only was she commended, she was worshiping. She was at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him. And John MacArthur explains this, and I quote, His clear point was that the disciples' priority should have been to worship him like Mary was doing. Worship is always the ultimate priority. I want you to think about that. What if you came in this morning or you come in week after week and your ultimate priority is to worship Jesus? Yes, you're looking at so-and-so and you're greeting one. This is a loving church. You love one another. We're loving one another. We're encouraging one another. But but the the focus is not on what Kevin's wearing or what Rusty's wearing, but the focus is on Jesus. We're here to worship Jesus. That's the top priority. It's not on whether or not this mic works or this light comes on or, or the AC works or doesn't. It's on worshiping Jesus. That's the priority. And if our mindset would shift and that would become the central focus, our lives would radically be different. It was for this lady. She was commended by her Savior. Notice fourth and finally, I love this, she will always be remembered. She'll always be remembered. I want you to think about this for a moment. On a tombstone, you have a birth date, and the day a person dies, and what's in between that? little dash. Just a little dash. Did you know that you were going to be remembered by what happens during that little dash? You're going to be remembered by the way you live your life. You are leaving a legacy. And this lady had a remarkable testimony. Oh, not from the opponent's. They, they, they mocked her. They, they ridiculed her. They belittled her. But she had a wonderful testimony, and her testimony made a difference. She left a wonderful legacy. Listen to what Jesus said of this woman. He said, wherever the gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in her memory. Did you know as I preached from the Word of God this morning, and I read these verses that this woman's memory is living on because of her act of devotion. What she did. And what kind of legacy are you leaving right now that years from now when you've died and gone to be with the Lord, somebody's going to remember. So-and-so did this. Or so-and-so did that. I don't know about y'all, but, but that's the type of life I want to live. I want to be remembered by the contribution that I made to this world, by the life that I lived for Jesus. Now, it's not a perfect life because I'll be the first to tell you I fall way short of the glory of God. And I say this over and over again because one of my former pastors used to say it over and over again. Don't put me on a pedestal. Because if you do, I'm going to let you down. I'm going to say or do something that lets you down. But Jesus will never let you down. And I've met people who have gotten offended by another Christian for whatever reason, and they say, well, I'm not ever going back to the church again. Well, that's only hurting you. Jesus hasn't done that to you. People will let you down, but Jesus never will. What if this woman said, well, since they scolded me, and belittled me, and and mocked me, and made fun of me, I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. No, you know what this made her do? Press on even harder. Persevere to continue. But 2,000 years later, her testimony, and her memory, and her legacy lives on. So whether you realize it or not, the way you're living your life, the way you're conducting yourself day in and day out, the words that you speak, the things that you think, the things that you do, you are leaving a legacy. And I want to be remembered by one that loved Jesus, that served Jesus, that had integrity, that had character, that made an impact in this world, and that loved Jesus and and sought to, to point other people closer to a relationship with Jesus. Why? Because in the long run, that's what matters most. That's what people are going to remember. I want my children to know, you know, Daddy wasn't perfect, but he loved Jesus. And he sought to serve Jesus with everything that he had. Yes, he made mistakes, but he loved the Lord. A wonderful testimony. This lady, Mary, had a wonderful legacy and a wonderful testimony. Now, that would be a wonderful place to end right there. I mean, I could end the sermon right there, but the text doesn't end there, so we're going to press on. Because look at verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot. I can't think of another disciple that walked any closer to Jesus than Judas. He was one of the twelve. Maybe maybe Peter and James and John, because they were the, the three in the inner circle, but he was one of the twelve. He walked right there. As Jesus walked and left his... Uh, Footprints in the sand, uh, Judas was walking right behind him. And people say today, well, if I could see Jesus, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. Judas saw him, and he didn't believe. So on the other hand, we have Judas, who had an awful, horrific testimony. You talking about an awful legacy to leave? That's Judas. Judas, Whoever says... We know, I think I'm going to set Judas as my role model. How many parents named their children Judas? Now, if you named your child Judas, you take that up with the Lord, okay? I'm not going to jump into that, all right? So Judas will be remembered, listen to this, as one who betrayed Jesus with a kiss, one who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, He's one that walks so closely with Jesus, yet he turned his back on Jesus, rejected Jesus, denied Jesus, and he lived for the world, the flesh, and the devil rather than live for Jesus. And because of that, he's not going to spend eternity in a place called heaven. He chose to live for self rather than Jesus. But not Mary. She's going to be remembered forever. Judas is going to be remembered forever. Hey, check this out. You're going to be remembered forever. And that, that, that comes to the point now to where we've got to ask this question in closing. What type of legacy will you leave? What type of legacy will you leave? How will other people remember you? When they think about your name and they see your name between those two dates, how will your life be remembered. It's my prayer this morning that it'll be remembered like the life of Mary, that it'll be remembered as one who passionately pursued Jesus, who was surrendered to Jesus, not only to salvation, but was surrendered to service to Jesus. And when we look at her life, what we see is a beautiful display of love. You've been listening to Changed by His Word, the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We hope that you have been encouraged and challenged by this message. If you have any questions about the message or about your relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact Pastor Brad at changedbyhisword at gmail.com. Thank you and God bless.